Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, everybody. Can you uh, multitask? Can you like do the offering and hear me at the same time? Yeah, good. All right. Um, we are at the end of Nehemiah, and grab your message notes. That's really important. And this is always the worst Sunday for me when we end a series because uh, these series start, you know, well over a year ahead of time before it comes here. And so I feel like I'm really close with this guy, and I'm like, I got to say goodbye, Nehemiah. And it's just I hate it. Um, it's all. It's been about completely restore, renew, rebuild. And would you agree with me? There is a ton of rubble in our community in the sense of we have a lot of brokenness all around us. Would anyone else believe that, agree with that? Am I the only one? There's a ton of rubble within. And uh, the reality is the hope for our city, if our city has any hope, it's not going to come church-wise from the pulpit. It's going to come from the pews. Uh, We really believe that within the churches of Redwood City that center on Jesus Christ, there is a sleeping giant Uh, Men and women who are broken and in the process of being restored, who just have enough faith to believe that Jesus is about renewing, rebuilding, restoring out there in the city. And they want to join him in that. And that's the adventure of what it means to live. Uh, This has always been the plan of God throughout all of scripture and throughout all of history. You can see in the New Testament where it's most vividly displayed. If you put up the Ephesians 4 verse uh, the Ephesus was uh, a huge metropolitan city, much like uh, our peninsula, and the church was really small, and this was the premier church of the New Testament. And Paul wrote Timothy and said, here's how this thing's going to work. Timothy's the pastor of the church, and he says this, Jesus, that would be the he, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, those are uh, spiritual giftings for the church. He said Jesus gave that to the church, but but reaching the city isn't based on those people. Look with me. To equip, and the reason I have that image behind it, the word equip was a medical term when he said it, to mend a broken bone. God always wants to mend what's broken. He's always in that process. He's fiercely committed to it. To equip what? The saints, that would be you. That would be me, but that would be all of us. We're in the process of being equipped, of being restored, of being made whole. Why? For work. God's not equipping you for a pew. That's heaven one day, right? We'll work in heaven too. But God's equipping you for the work of what? Ministry. That word means to wait on people at your own personal expense. Ministry. To serve in a way that costs you. That's always been the plan of God, to equip you so that you are restoring as you are in the process of being restored. You are mending as you are in the process of being mended. Uh, Most of the times, I know in my life, when God calls me into something that's messy and there's rubble, I think, well, I'm not equipped for that. And God goes, you'll never be fully equipped, but part of your being equipped means go, go do this. In the process of helping others get healed, you'll find healing yourself. This is the story of Nehemiah. And today I don't want to teach anything new. I want us to remember where we've been. We set out uh, and had a desire that six things would stick with you. 
I just want to run through those six things. They're in your notes, and we would love it if you tuck this in your Bible. And then we're going to turn it on you and ask you, what was your takeaway from Nehemiah? Here's the first thing, a dislocated heart. A dislocated heart. We learned that Nehemiah lived 800 miles away from Jerusalem in affluence. He had a great job. He, had it, he was set up. And then he hears about something happening 800 miles away, brokenness. Look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, uh, when I heard these things, here's his dislocated heart, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What we discover is while his body was in Babylon, his heart was 800 miles away in Jerusalem, a dislocated located heart. Does that make sense? And he's like, what? What? Everybody, this is the core to any ministry. This is why this church has existed for 67 years. And and some of the greatest ministries we have are because people have a dislocated heart. Uh, This happened just this weekend. We had people, uh, as we saw all over the country, students marching saying to the United States of America, make our schools safe, please. We have no power in this culture, so we will just make our voices heard. And we had adults in this church, and probably students, but I knew of adults, they were decades older than teenagers, but their heart was dislocated for teenagers. And so they just walked with them, standing alongside them yesterday. That's a dislocated heart. We have people who have dislocated hearts for uh, veterans, who have spinal or brain injuries and are at the VA hospital. And they may live in Redwood City, and they do, but their heart is about 20 miles away in the VA hospital. And every Friday night, they go there to minister and to just be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have people who, uh, who have a dislocated heart for third graders who are below-level readers. And they just think, how is it in our community 50% of third graders aren't at a reading level they should be. This shouldn't be. And so they invest one hour a week because their heart might be up here. I'm sorry, their body might be up here, but their heart is at Fair Oaks School or uh, Haas School or Roosevelt School. See what I'm talking about? We have, and we heard story after story of people whose heart was for people that come into their places of business that would never set foot in a church. And their heart breaks and they go, gosh, I want them to know Jesus so much. Wait a second, they don't go to church, but they come to my business or they come to my doctor's office or they come to my law firm or they come to whatever. And so God, would you make this a mission outpost? So when people come, they'd sniff out the aroma of Christ and maybe you could do something. Can I ask you a question? What breaks your heart? This is the core. This is where it starts. Now, the enemy, the spiritual enemy, you know we have a spiritual enemy. Can I get an amen? Come on, really, we are opposed. We'll get to that at 0.5, okay? Don't make me go 30 minutes today, okay? I will. I'd love to. Um, He would tell you what breaks your heart. He would tell you anesthetize yourself. Recreate yourself. Screen yourself. Like, look at a screen, Sports yourself. Do whatever it takes. Busy yourself to anesthetize that broken heart. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You sit in that. Because if it's breaking your heart, chances are very high it's breaking my heart too. 
And I raised you up to do something about this. Our church is good, really good, because of this one thing. People like you with a dislocated heart doing something about it. Then we learned the lesson from Nehemiah of a broken spirit. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days, we learned that was 120 days. I did some math. That's like from today to July 29th. And don't miss this. It wasn't like a chunk of time. The, the way that's brought out in the original language is 120 days, one day at a time, and then another, and then another, and then another, where Nehemiah woke up and said, will it be today? And God said, no. Day five, will it be today? No. Day 70, God, this isn't going away. Good, let it burn. Day 100, what am I going to do with this? I can't exist anymore. Good, we're getting there. Finally, 120 days later, he had a broken spirit. This is so important that Jesus, in the most famous sermon he ever gave, called the Sermon on the Mount, his opener, talked about this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, you've got to come to the place where you realize, I don't have within me what's needed to do something about this. This will be impossible in my own efforts. Have you ever heard the saying, um, God will never give you more than you can handle? That is heresy, that is not in the Bible. Because if that was true, we wouldn't need God. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. Because his goal in life is not our comfort. His goal in life is our Christ-likeness. And so he'll give us more than we can handle so that we come to our senses with our three-pound brain. I don't know as much as God. I need God. And we run to him. And God says, I know that hurt, but I'm so glad we have more intimacy here. God will never give you more than he can handle. He'll continually give you more than you can handle. So that the all-surpassing greatness doesn't go to you, it goes to God. First lesson, a dislocated heart. Second lesson, a broken spirit. That's why there's 14 recorded prayers in the book of Nehemiah. Constantly he's going, God, I need you. God, I can't do this. God, remember me. He says that all the time. The Nehemiah, the book opens in a prayer. It closes in a prayer. Throughout the whole time, he's saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. The best gauge of your understanding and my understanding of a broken spirit, are you ready? Your prayer life. Do a prayer audit. How often? And it's not about like using these and thous in some King James language once in the morning or getting up at three in the morning and then going on to your day. Nehemiah taught, if he taught us anything, he taught us, he prayed throughout his life. He prayed in the marketplace. He prayed by building the wall. He prayed before the king. He prayed in everyday life because he constantly remembered, I don't have what it takes. That will lead to a radical faith. A radical faith. Look at, uh, that's the third lesson, a radical faith. And look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Look in your notes. Nehemiah 2, 4 to 5, or it's on the screen. The king said to me, what is it you want? Here it goes. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now that is not a long prayer, right? He shot up a prayer. God help me. And then he went. We call that a trialogue. Remember we taught you that word? A dialogue while you're talking to somebody, you're talking to God. Every dialogue can be a trialogue. He said, what do you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king 
And if your servant's found favor in his sight, let him, open book test everybody, next two words. Okay, a little louder. I can't hear you. Send me. That, those are the two words of faith. Send me. At some point, Nehemiah had to leave the palace to make a difference in the rubble. And I don't know how else to put it. At some point, we have to leave the comfort of the pew to make a difference. And I'm not saying that because you're not doing it. You're doing it. We can all do it more. But to leave with our dislocated hearts and our broken spirits and make a difference out there and step out and go, boy, I have no idea where this is going to lead, but I'm going for it. And we've heard amazing stories during this series of people doing that. It's been unbelievable as people have done that with their, again, in their places of employment and where they go, just trusting God. I would encourage you with radical faith, I want to challenge every one of us to grab five of these cards when we leave. Five. And then put the onus on God. God, as I go through my week, create divine appointments where I get the chance to give these away. Can I brag on God for a minute? No? Okay, just checking. Okay. Um, Yesterday, Bella and I, uh, she rides a horse in Woodside, and we were coming back, and we stopped at Robert's, and I wanted to pick up, my wife loves Reese's peanut butter eggs. And so I, I, we were checking out, and impulse Gary, I'm like, oh, I'm going to grab one. And then I realized those things are way expensive at Robert's. I can get them way cheaper at CVS Pharmacy. So I put it back, and uh, the checker uh, says to me, wow, you have such, you have, what she say, you have such strong will. And I said, oh, uh, thanks. And I didn't want to say it because it's so expensive. <laughs> but then she said this. She goes, she goes, I'm a failure. And she's talking about her food eating, but more than that. I go, you're a failure? I go, that's why we have Easter next week. She goes, what? I'm like, Easter's for failures. Jesus came for failures. And she looked at me. I might as well have just said, you know, I, you know, the Easter bunny is here. I, you know, whatever. I mean, but you know what I learned? It wasn't for her. The checker on the next aisle turns to me and says, that's good. That's, that, that's good. I, I, that's good. And then we left. I'm like, thank you, Lord. There you go. Right there at Roberts, aisle three, divine appointment. So just carry these, let God do the work, and then you get to brag on God, right? Okay, then it goes from there to a community focus. A community focus. Uh, look at verse 17 of chapter two. Then I said to them, you see the trouble, what's that next pronoun? We, he completely identifies with the community. He doesn't say, look at you morons, he never been to Jerusalem. He didn't cause this. He was a devout follower of Yahweh, yet like Jesus, he identifies with the pain and brokenness and takes it on himself. It says, you see the trouble we're in. Everything that happened in Nehemiah happened better because it was communal. Everything that happens in this church that you want for your heart, that you want for your soul, happens better in community. You can't do it alone. Then quickly, we want to go to sharing a courageous soul, a courageous soul. We learned in this study that if you want to do any significant work of renewal, rebuilding, restoring, you will be opposed. You'll be opposed. Look at all the opposition. I just put it here. We're not going to go into it that Nehemiah faced. Uh, what do we expect there's a friend of mine who um, is not in this church. He's up in uh, a different place, and he's going through a tough time. 
in his marriage. And so I gave him this book, best marriage book I've ever read. And the title of it is this, So What Did You Expect? (laughs) And sometimes I want to say the same thing to myself and to us as a church. We're trying to do something supernatural that's never been done in our city. Do we really think the forces of evil are going to go, have at it. Please, change the furniture of hell and reorient and populate heaven. Go ahead. No. Of course we're going to be opposed. Of course I'm going to be opposed for every act of Christ-like character I attempt to make with my own, with my own life. And every step in my marriage and every step in my parenting, let alone the renewal, restore, rebuilding project there. Lastly, it's going to take a personal commitment. Uh, What you see in the book of Nehemiah towards the end, he committed all along the way, but towards the end, he didn't take a salary. Towards the end, when there was a famine, he had, you can see in the verse here, what is it, 150 Jews every night at his dinner table, where he's like, I'll feed them. Pace of the leader, pace of the church. This is a personal commitment. The call of God on your life will always, always be more than you originally planned for, but the payoff will be greater than you ever expected. So there's the six lessons. Which one stuck out to you or was there something else? Uh, In the other gathering I was in, we had a rich time of sharing. We want you to encourage the body at this point. I'm gonna have Tony come up and lead that. I'll grab a mic and run out to you. What is it in this uh, series that hit you? Tony, maybe you can set that up. There are four questions that are on the screen are the ones that we started our gathering with, and hopefully you got a chance to pick one. Uh, if you didn't, now just take a look at them. Uh, I really like the one that says, how have others inspired you to live it out? And Gary was using that word about bragging on God. Well, this is an opportunity for us also to brag on others. How are you seeing other people living out the, the story of Nehemiah? If you look at all of those colored pieces of paper that we fl- um, waved in the air earlier alongside our walls, I spent a few minutes looking at Ural's prayers and the the prayers of faith that are hoping for God to restore marriages and lives and children are pretty powerful. So who would like to share something um, from one of these questions, a lesson you've learned or an awareness you've gained or someone else who's inspired you or what you're hoping for God to do? Maybe you put one of those colored pieces up. And we'll just come to you if you could say your name and we'll get the mic to you. Yeah, Leslie, would you stand up? I have been really touched by this um, series in so many ways. One in particular, um, God put on my heart to start a business last year called Pivotal Turns Coaching and Wellness. I said, Lord, okay, what do you want me to do with this? And uh, the third week of the series, he had put on my heart, okay, revamp the services page. Um, and that was just a month ago when the series started. And I said, how will that, how will that be? What do you want me to do, Lord? So he put me in touch with a woman who I found out midway through working with her that she was, uh, had a Muslim background. She was not a practicing Muslim, but she had a Muslim name and was torn in her faith. So we, I took work with her. And then when it got to the services page, she said, why are you changing the names of your services to rebuild, restore and renew? And God just truly opened the door to share with her my testimony and the wonderful things that God has been speaking to me through the series and dislocated heart. She looked at me and said, dislocated heart. Yeah, well, I don't know what my religion is. And she got pretty indignant. God told me to back off. 
Um, and she continued to work through the website, build it up. And um, I said, Lord, I thank you for putting the framework, the cinder blocks of the wall that I believe that you want me to um, build for you and the community. And on top of that, God is so good. He opened the door where a space was donated to me at the Sequoia Healthcare District office right down on Veterans Boulevard to be able to lead workshops on Saturdays and Thursday evenings. That's God. That is so God. So I'm so grateful. I'm scared. Okay? So the fray part is very much there. I don't know what he wants me to do. But I do know that he set up the framework through this series, through the work that um, is coming through Pastor Gary and all the other pastors, saying, step out in faith. God understands your dislocated heart. Keep walking in faith. I'll do the rest. Awesome. Let's clap for that. Who else has a story? Yeah, back there. Raf. Awesome. Yeah, so this story made me uh, dig deeper into the, the word. Uh, the story of Nehemiah goes into the Old Testament as far as us understanding advocacy to a higher level. Uh, when you think of social justice warriors, I went to USF, so I've been groomed on this stuff for years. I now think of Nehemiah and how he was tugged for, for months to, to, be, to be somebody who he, he, he was destined to be. And what that means is just really getting angry and getting creative and then going into action. And I, I tend to do that a lot. I run a nonprofit, and I just get on my bike. I get really angry, and I go climb a mountain. And then I get creative with that process of me really wrestling my thoughts. And then I do things because... As a millennial, um, some of us, not all of us, are keyboard warriors, and we need to instill that to be social justice warriors. And um, that's the life I live, so I know many of the people here who I'm sitting next to do that, um, some of my best friends, but it's, us, it's about creating dialogue. How do we do that in a compassionate yet disruptive way? Anybody else? How have others inspired you to live this out? What awareness have you gained? Yeah, got it. So the the series for me um, has helped me see that in Redwood City, there's just a lot of not only dysfunction, but people who are displaced and lonely. And I, I feel like Silicon Valley, we moved here from Sacramento, and Silicon Valley is a buzzing all the time, but th there's also a great sadness and loneliness here. I thought it was interesting that Billy Graham passed away during this series. And um, I believe that with his passing, there are, there are things coming very innovative ways to share the gospel that are, that are going to come out of Silicon Valley. I have some ideas around that, but um, I think that what's going to happen is a wave of evangelism in a brand new way and in people reaching out through technology and social media, et cetera, that are going to be lots of Billy Grahams all over the place, especially here in Redwood City. I think there's going to be some amazing things happen that bring people into the kingdom. And I would definitely want to be a part of that. So this series has really helped me understand that. Awesome. 
Was anyone else encouraged with what happened in our nation yesterday, just seeing students by the millions standing up for protection in their schools? I watched the 11-year-old Naomi Wadler with my daughter, who turned 11 today, and just go, this 11-year-old African-American girl speaking in front of millions of people and saying, I'm going to make a difference. And I kept thinking about how we often say they're going to change the future, but like she's changing the present, you know, like how amazing that was. I was so inspired yesterday. Anybody else? We have time for one or two more. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Uh, my name is Anthony. One of the things, Gary, you just mentioned in your, in your talk was the personal commitment. And this is a big deal. Everyone can see a bunch of problems that we all face, and then they can say, well, if you just did that, or if you just did that, or if you just did that. But where's the solutions? And so you need to take a personal commitment for your own self. I'm talking personal responsibility for your own life. And make those decisions based on yourself. Lead yourself first. Then you can lead your family. Go to God and ask for his leadership. Then you can go lead yourself. And then you can go lead your family. Then you can maybe lead your community. But the bottom line is you need to make a personal commitment to the Savior first before anything else can change. And it's about personal commitment and personal responsibility. Good. off. There we go. Tony, that's a great segue to my final point. And uh, I had, when I was a youth pastor, they, the youth group used to say, we hate it when you say this next line, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> if you got nothing else out of Nehemiah, here's the one thing I want you to leave with. Okay. It's really tempting uh, to put ourselves into the story. And that's how Old Testament narrative works. You, are in, it's, you should put yourself into the story and identify in the story. Uh, but in here, and, and many people identify with Nehemiah, and, and there's probably a place for that, right? The three greatest books written for people out there in Christendom on Nehemiah encouraged us to put ourselves as Nehemiah in the story. Chuck Swindoll, Hand Me Another Brick, Andy Stanley, Visioneering. Um, all those encourage us, you are Nehemiah. I want to take it to the next level and say this. What I want to encourage, you can sit there, there's a place for that. But don't identify with Nehemiah. I want to encourage you in the story, we are Israel. Living in Jerusalem, living in rubble, that we've become all too familiar with. And we just think that's our life. Those things will always take place in our culture. Those things will always take place in my life. This relationship will never get better. We need a Nehemiah. 2,000 years ago, someone greater than Nehemiah rode through those rebuilt walls on Palm Sunday on a donkey, and people wave the palms shouting, Hosanna, which simply means, Tony told us, Lord, save us. And he walked into that rebuilt temple, and you can read about this in Luke 19, and turned over tables. 
And he cried out because the temple had been misused, saying this is meant to be a house of prayer. Literally, he said, uh, for all the ethnicities, not just for Judaism. And here you are blocking the world from coming to me. And then a week later, he walked out of those walls with a crossbar on his back to his crucifixion. What I want you leaving with, and if you miss this, you've missed all of Nehemiah and every book of the New Test- Old Testament. Jesus is a better Nehemiah. Jesus is the intended Nehemiah. So my final question is this. What in your life does need rebuilding, restoring, renewing that you can't do on your own? Where do you need Jesus to step in and to make a difference? And then what is it around your life that you don't have what it takes to rebuild, restore, renew? You need Jesus through you, like Tony said, it starts here, to make a difference in him, through him, with him. Amen? I'm going to close this in prayer on that note. Lord Jesus, on a day like today when we recognize the shout, Hosanna, we agree, save us. We need you. It's no shame whatsoever to confess I don't have what it takes. Identify right now in prayer the rubble in your life. It could be your prayer for Jesus is just for salvation, where you literally say, take my whole life. I've made a mess. You are the way and the truth, and you are life. Save me. Or it could be finances. It could be relationships. It could be a character issue. What is it in your life where you need Jesus, the better Nehemiah, to come in and deal with the rubble. Take a minute, I'm gonna give you the chance to pray that through. By the way, we'd love for you to write that on that sheet of paper that Tony had us wave, that could be your Hosanna, Lord save this. And we're gonna artistically repurpose that paper for Easter Sunday, so you could do that on the piece of paper and put it on these uh, hooks all over the sanctuary. Now I wanna ask you, where is the rubble in our culture, in our community, that you feel like has dislocated your heart? What injustice exists that you go, this shouldn't be. And if you can't identify one, start by asking God, break my heart with what breaks yours. But if you have one identified, ask God to give you faith, radical faith, a courageous heart, a personal commitment. It's all about God. Ask him to make a difference in the rubble. I'm going to give you a chance to interact with God about that. So yes, 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 Jesus, yes, we need you. Yes, we're nothing without you. 
Yes, we say Hosanna. If you don't save us, we're dust. And yes, we say you are the hope of the city. And yes, the power is in you using ordinary people whose hearts are broken to follow you in your power into the rubble that is our city. We confess that we don't function as a city or a community the way you intended. Make a difference in that. And on our watch, may there be something done so magnificently for your glory that jaws are dropped and people are running to you, joining in our Hosanna and Hallelujah. We love you, we thank you, and we pray for more in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.